If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying. Is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the success report. The success report. Hear ye, hear ye. Come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels. And Joel Nikoloff. How you feeling today, Joel? I'm good. You well, know. N- well, you sound tired. I- yeah. I'm going to get you a double-double from Tim Hortons. Black, buddy. I like my coffee black. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I like black, too. Uh, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little tired. You know, what can I say? It's... uh life of a new father yeah i hear you i hear you are, are you a tim hortons guy or what uh i'm a french press at home chemex at home okay. coffee guy but black coffee i'll drink it from anywhere but. okay no i'm not coffee i'm tea by d shout tea by daniel <laughs> uh yeah no i'm a tea drinker uh but no i don't i try not to spend my money at tim hortons not because it's tim hortons but uh, no, no, no shots to people that shop at Tim Hortons. Uh, I just find people that go to Tim Hortons don't know how to make breakfast before they leave the house. Yeah, <laughs> you don't cut in, but that was a shot. <laughs> I was about to say, Tim Hortons is taking enough heat right now, bro. No, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, you you can't buy six bagels from No Frills and 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 toast it, put butter on it, and call it Tim Hortons. He- Man, maybe you value sleep more than making your own breakfast. No, I'm just saying. I'm I just know. saying. You know. Hey. Yeah, because I, well, that brings up our topic, right? Uh, yeah. Tim Hortons is in the news. Kathleen Wynn's in the news. And they're going at it because of uh, minimum, minimum wage. wage. Right. So yeah. let's get started. So CTV Online News reported January 2nd. All general minimum wage workers are now entitled to $14 per hour in Ontario, up from the previous rate of $11.60. That number is slated to climb even higher next year, with a $15 minimum wage coming into effect January 1st, 19, sorry, 2019. So Aaron Stoltzman, a senior reporter on Consumer Affairs on CBC News, reported that when the story was first reported, it revealed a franchise in Coburg, Ontario, was eliminating paid breaks and asking employees to pay the majority of costs associated with benefits. <laughs> One of the employees said, they're also losing a free drink they used to get to take home at the end of the shift. They've been told that any drink in a paper cup will be paid for at full price. <laughs> so. It goes on to say that the Great White North Franchisee Association, which says it speaks for a number of Canadian Tim Horton franchises, has said it is facing a massive increase in labor costs and says it has cut costs because their parent company, RBI, has refused to raise the prices. Right? So RBI is the company that owns Tim Hortons or they're also known as the franchisor right yep okay so 
Kevin Libin, who covers the business economics and politics for the National Post and the Financial Post, boils down the argument to Kathleen Wynne pitting Ontario's workers against their employers, deflecting the blame for benefit cuts that can't be traced back to her own that can be traced back to her own policy. I mean, the the interesting thing is Tim Hortons was is like completely following the law. They used to go above and beyond the law of minimum wage. And now as a result of increasing cost, they have to they they felt the need to claw back some benefits to offset the extra price. What what's really interesting is I think for a lot of people, they just perceive wage as the only benefit you get from employment. Right. Right. So, for example, there's the wage you get, but also the experience you get from working. Yes. The experience, especially minimum wage jobs, generally speaking, are filled by somebody with low skill and low experience. Right. And from my experience, it usually ends up being black people who get phased out of the market because uh, a lot of times we're the ones who end up being the low skilled and our teens are pushed out of the market because of that. Yeah. So in, in this context, rather than you know cutting hours, they've cut costs in a different manner. So if I was to contrast and I don't know the, the specifics, but I'm going to use an example. Let's say Subway, right? Similar job, similar role, slightly different, but similar. Um, if Tim Horton's employees still, even with having to contribute to benefits, actually receive more, why are we not demonizing Subway? Their, their employees are actually getting less. They're only getting minimum wage. They don't, you know, maybe they don't get a free sub on their meal. They have to always buy their food, right? Tim's used to give a free drink. Now they don't, uh, but they still give benefits in a certain capacity. So if Tim's total compensation package is actually better than the competitor, why are we demonizing Tim's or we, the meaning the public and Kathleen Wynne, why are they demonizing her or why are they demonizing Tim's yeah. when Tim's is still doing more than their competition? Right, but Tim's is a big deal. Like that's like a national staple for Canadians. So you can't bet you you can't mess with people's Tim's. So if you really look at it, the dynamic is this: it's three versus one. So it's the government officials, Premier Kathleen Wynne, and her Minister of Labor Kevin Flynn. Right, they making a comments like it's a pretty clear example of bullying. And then we have the multi-international behemoth, the Restaurant Brands International, that's RBI. Uh, so that's the chain that owns Burger King, Popeye's Chicken, and Tim Hortons. And then the third party is the employees of uh, the franchisee. So you have the government, uh, RBI, the franchisor, and the employees of the franchisee ganging up on the franchisee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm not surprised the 
Kathleen Wynne jumped on them. I'm not surprised the franchisor jumped on them because they're all they're both protecting their vested interest, which is the reputation. Right? Okay. Kathleen Wynne's got an election coming up. If her minimum wage policies produce some negative consequences that there's plenty of people predicting she's going to be out of a job. Um, Tim Hortons, the, the franchisor, is R- RBI. Yeah, but Tim's is a brand. Right now, it, it originally came out as Tim's versus the government. Right. So they jumped on, oh, we're with the government because they want to- Who's rep- with the government? The franchisor. Yes, because they want to protect the brand. So let's throw this one location- Rogue. Rogue, rogue location. It's, it's a rogue. Oh, <laughs> let's throw them under the bus because it'll protect the rest. I mean, and it makes sense. Like I would, to some extent, I'd potentially do it too. I got like the franchisor- it can only be a franchise or if the brand is maintained. Man, that's disrespectful because like that's your guy. As a franchise or you're like, yo, the franchisee, that's my guy. I've given them rights to carry our name to go and start business. So now you don't have their back. You're throwing them under the bus. Yeah. Come on, man. Well, as I said, as we always say, I was trying to steal man them. Yeah. You know, like I, I can understand why they're motivated that way. I don't right. like it. I agree with you that they could be putting forward, like, hey, look, coffee industry, the uh, fast food industry is a competitive business. We can't raise prices. So if our franchisors are going to lose, let's say, the majority of their profits, then, sorry, the franchisees are going to lose the majority of the profits. Because I think you've got the the statistics if the you want to. Yes, yeah, so there. it shows that a few years ago, McLean's made a report that showed that the average store's profit of about two hundred and sixty-five thousand. Now, with wins wage hikes, will cost the average franchise two two hundred and forty-three thousand eight hundred and eighty-nine dollars. If you took that kind of hit to your bottom line, then you'd probably roll back your benefits as well, right? Well. Simply put, you would either have to adjust costs somehow, and Tim's the, the franchisee is not helping, or sorry, franchisor is not helping. So your only option is to cut corners wherever you can. Otherwise, like the numbers basically sound like you're going to become a store that makes twenty grand a year. Now, is if it- if you're investing anywhere from half a million, which I'm guessing it's probably closer to a million. Right. You're risking that much money to run a store. You, like 20 grand isn't a reasonable return on your investment. Any good entrepreneur would close business and invest elsewhere. Right. So either you adjust your profits by reducing costs anywhere you can because you can't cut wages. But the right. So the places that they're cutting the costs are permissible under the law. Right. Right, and and they have freedom. The franchisee has certain freedoms to run the store they want, so they're not really being rogue. So the benefits that they're cutting are exactly that, benefits. They're privileges. They're not rights. They're on top of what you know they have to do. Um, and I'm guessing one of the reasons they had them before was to provide uh, prospective employees 
in- extra incentive to work at their store versus McDonald's or whatever. Like any of the similar jobs that require the similar skills and similar potential employees. So let's, oh, hey, guess what? We can get the better employees by giving them this 20% extra bonus that's in the form of benefits because it actually works out more tax effective than paying them more money. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a different conversation. No, no, totally. No, 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 you're right. So it's it's pretty interesting how you look at the levels to this, right? So you have the government at the top where it starts because they're, they're like, okay, pardon? They're mandating. Right. And then you have the franchisor, right? And then the franchisee, the employees, and then the common man who's like, oh, we're for the employees. Yeah. Right? So. Class warfare? Yeah. <laughs> right? So, no, but think about it because you have the customers who are saying, oh, I love the employees. I love the guy who serves me coffee and the people that butter my bagels. I'm for the little guy. But they didn't actually bring you the coffee. What do you mean? The franchise E is the reason you can have coffee at that right. location. Right, no. No, no, you're right. It, but so in actuality, they're, in my opinion, they're risk-directing their love because the person who's actually providing them access to the good they want mm-hmm. isn't the employee. Right. <laughs> and the one who risked their neck to be able to do it is the, the franchisee. <laughs> so, the franchisee took a line of credit on their home or, or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've actually read the numbers or something like stupid of the amount of wealth you must have to open a franchise. It's like literally a million dollars worth of wealth because you have to be able to put that on the line in case you go bankrupt and your store goes under that they want a level of security that you can deal with it yourself and the franchisor is not on the hook. So I I think we've, we've definitely hashed out some of the nuances of that scenario, but I think the article, well, there was an article by McLean's and I thought McLean did a good job of bringing both arguments, arguments for and against Mm. the minimum wage. (laughs) <laughs> I thought they brought the argument yeah, no, for. Yeah, but they but they had good representation on either side. And it's very important to understand where the heart of the people are at. Because sometimes we get lost in the numbers and be like, well, to a person's heart, they're like, okay, well, minimum wage is good because we want to empower the little guy who's being taking advantage of the big business guy. So big business is being demonized, what we see in the papers and in the news. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I personally don't think that's a fair assessment in terms of demonizing big business. I think there's definitely lots of scenarios where business and government relationships should be demonized. Um, because you're, you know, in general, if big business is earning, let's call it extra profit, um, it's usually because there's barriers to entry in the industry. So my favorite example of that is telecom. Right, government has their hand manipulating it like crazy to the point that you can't um, actually enter the market, and you know. Just look at that scenario that unfolded with Bell and Rogers and the $60 plans and people were going crazy 
to to enroll and and now every, you know it's like well if you're able to offer this right now why why isn't it a regular mainstay well because they don't have to because there's no competition to actually compete the prices down and i mean technically i started at that bottom of the the article um which was the, like the article the, by McLean's. Armine Ar, the article by Armine sorry i can't pronounce her last name Yalnedzian i hope that's Dude, right that was a good effort yeah so <laughs> so the article's called why a 15 minimum why a 15 dollar minimum wage is a, is good for business so um as i said we we kind of touched on the big business stuff at the it's the last point of the article um for first point, I mean, we can essentially use the headers as, as a good summary. Um, I don't know if we'll be have, have time to touch all of them, but um, this argument, the first argument being unsqueeze the driver of growth. Domestic consumption drives the economy. I wholeheartedly believe that's false. Why? Consumption doesn't drive growth. Growth drives consumption. Um, if we only consumed and didn't replenish capital, we'd go back to the Stone Age. Okay, so for those who aren't economically inclined, what do you mean consume? I'm talking consumer goods. In regards to purchasing yeah. at your local Tim yeah. Hortons. Yeah, exactly. Um, or any, any anywhere. sort of... Well, anywhere, yes, right. You know, good that you buy and is going to have to be replenished in a... Like, I buy food. It's consumer good. Um, you know, you can get into things like technology, which are right. So the argument better. is that spending money in in the economy is what keeps it moving. That's their argument. That's their but argument. But I'm saying if all we did was spend and no investment, we would go to the point of, hey, guess what? This factory's run down and no longer can produce goods efficiently. Oh, my farms that all use industrialized machines from the industrial revolution we didn't invest in those machines oh guess what cut food like we all have to go back to being farmers so it's actually mixing labor with capital that makes labor more productive that drives growth well this requires investment it also requires innovation to to have long-term growth and like those two are probably something you'll find most people arguing for. Long-term growth is is driven by innovation and investment. And in the Austrian school um, of economics, the only real funding, long-term funding of investment comes from savings. And guess what? Savings requires less consumption. So if you believe that investment is needed for long-term growth this statement can't be true because it it's either consumption or savings right you can't unleash consumption to have long-term growth right but yeah so what she's saying is that the more well the higher the increase of the minimum wage the more people are going to want to spend but that's not to say that people aren't going to some people may take their money and say, okay, well, I'd rather invest this extra amount. Fine, but that's not the argument. Right. That's, the argument is, you're not saying, oh, we need to give people more money so they can save. <laughs> or give people more money so that they can, <laughs> they spend, can spend. But- and that's going to drive growth. 
That's what the argument is, right? I mean, the second argument is, in my opinion, just as ridiculous. Oh, we're going to spur on productivity. It says nearly 30% of the Ontario labor market earns less than 15 an hour. So if we bring all those people up, they're going to work harder and be more productive because yeah, we pay but, them more. That's yeah, not but, how it works. But one of the things is that the those who make minimum wage, that it's not a lot of people that actually make minimum wage. It's a small amount of people. So even when we say, um, do you have the number? Or stat it's on like, that? By province, it ranges from six to eight percent. Okay, so so seven percent of the population makes minimum wage, and this is what. So then, but this then is the people we're the trying minimum to. Minimum wage jumped so high; their new threshold of fifteen. It's everyone under fifteen is thirty percent of the population. So, you know, you've got thirty percent of the population in terms of workforce that that's impacted. What's that impact going to be? I don't know. Let's look for similar scenarios where minimum wage has gone up that much. Oh, no, you don't want to do that because let's look at Seattle where the government actually sponsored and did a really in-depth analysis. Guess what? The study that just came out, this is a bad idea. I'll provide the link. Okay, Check it but out. if it's such a bad idea, why are people voting for it? Okay. Because it was, you know, it was a lot that had to be passed. The simplest answer is something I've brought up before. There's a, or I've brought it up with you at least. There's a two sides to the coin. You've got an issue around people can't afford to live. Well, there's revenues and there's expenses, and so in this context. The government's saying we're going to increase the revenue, but there's no conversation around what's the cause of this inequality between revenues and expenses. And if I would say we need to look at expenses. And when you dig into the cost of living, I would point to government as the reason why cost of living is so high. The so. interesting thing is that people don't think that way. So you're right. For example, yeah, so for example, <laughs> we're looking at the little guy or the person who who's living from paycheck to paycheck and we're like, okay, we're going to try to help the little guy. We're going to try to balance this out and yeah, raise the minimum wage so that we're helping people out. So there, there's there's a moral aspect to it to say like, okay, I want to do a good thing the next time I vote. What do I vote for? Well, the, the best thing I can do is give people more money because that'll be the solution to the problem. Maybe, but basic economics says when the cost of, when the costs like shift, right? So when the cost of production, whether it's services or goods, increases, there is a decline in supply. The decline in supply will result in, and, and I'm talking about the goods that minimum wage workers are involved with. So they become an input cost. So the supply curve shifts for all goods where minimum wage workers are a part of the workforce. It shifts negatively in the sense of it declines. Well, 
basic economics, when the supply curve shifts negatively or, or declines, uh, decline not in a slope-wise, but, but a shift, um, prices go up. So if all I do, and, and I would say minimum wage employees are involved with most like, and, like aspects of standard of living, so your groceries, you know, um, transportation, all of these things involve really simple, low-skilled, low-experienced workers. So you're going to increase the cost of living, which potentially just offset the problem you were trying to resolve. Right. So I balance you more. Out. Now all your costs go up and, oh, I'm going to have to pay you more surface, again. Yeah. Right? So... That's why I said there's no conversation around why are why do we have this imbalance? Why are the costs of living so high? And we're totally ignoring like concept of prices. Yeah, but if <laughs> if you haven't taken a class on economics or you skip that class to go play dominoes in the cafeteria, you know, it's just one of those situations you're not gonna know, or you're just gonna go with, hey, look, at face value, this is what I see and this is how things are unfolding. Even when we look at the number of the number of unemployment, did you have that stat in regards to how many people are forecasted to lose a, lose their jobs? Um, so, so there's a, there is a correlation between the increase in minimum wage and people losing their jobs. And, yeah, and a lot of times people don't make that connection. No, I mean look at it this way: um, in general, a business owner, or an entrepreneur, or a boss has some substitutes when it comes to labor. You could invest in machines, like your automated tellers at the grocery store, right? So if the cost of labor goes above the cost of, you know, the amortized cost or the long-term, like breaking down the cost of buying a machine over the life cycle, I could be like, well, this is more cost-effective of my money. And so the Bank of Canada uh, issued uh, in November 2017, um, basically estimated that there's a likely impact of employment would fall by 60,000 as a result of the wage increase. And they had the range between 30 and 140,000 uh, for an estimate. So, I mean, let's... let's I think people really need to understand what prices are. Prices communicate value. So when, like if historically there was this idea that prices were based on, um, well, Adam Smith, father of economics, used what was called the labor theory of value. And they, more generically, it's called the cost theory of value. Um, and it's pretty self-explanatory. The, the, the price is determined by how much it costs to produce. And that's really the argument here. The cost of living is too high, so the, the amount it costs for me to give you my labor is too high. But that's not what's accepted in economics. And I guarantee you that's not what the people believe in their application. And I'll give you a really simple example from selling something on Kijiji in a second. The theory today that's that's widely accepted is the subjective value theory and it looks at individual preferences so if i'm 
if I'm selling my phone on Kijiji, I'm uh, I'm willing to accept it at anything over fifty bucks because for less than fifty bucks, um, I'd rather keep it as a backup. Maybe I break my phone, so it's it's worth more than fifty bucks to me. But if someone's on Kijiji buying a phone, they're not willing to pay more than a hundred bucks for a used phone. They're like, I'd rather buy um, a new phone. If it's over a hundred, I'll put in my efforts to um, buy the buy the new phone. You know, maybe I spend two hundred bucks and get a new plan and all that stuff. So the point here is about how much you value the good is what relates to how much you're willing to pay. I don't care how much you paid for it when I'm trying to buy the phone. You don't, you to some extent don't care that you originally bought the phone for 500 bucks. You literally just look at what do I value it today? Mm -hmm. And so from a, how do we get the equilibrium price? Well, it, it actually turns out to be, so the seller saying over 50, the buyer saying under a hundred. Essentially, we end up with a range between 50 and 100 bucks. The result of 50, like whether it's closer to 50 or whether it's closer to 100 is dependent upon who has more bargaining power. And that bargaining power is essentially determined by the number of buyers or sellers. So if there's more people selling phones at 50 bucks and very few buyers, most people are going to get that phone for 50. But if there's only a few number of sellers and like a mass amount of buyers, the prices are going to be closer to a hundred bucks because there's going to be people left saying, I want to spend a hundred, but I can't even buy one because they don't, there's not enough sellers. Right. So I think that we want the listener to walk away with a better understanding of how the minimum wage affects not just themselves, but their fellow man, their neighbor, their community, the kid who's trying to get his first job, but can't get his first job because his work that he offers isn't worth $15. It's worth $11. And what the employer wants is $15 worth of work. Well, who can provide $15 worth of work? Well, a 25-year-old who has experience and knows how to uh, fill out a stock form, who knows how to mop. Yes, yeah. there are teenagers who don't know how to mop. Like, it's just that serious. Well, and this is the, I found so ridiculous. This is why I scoffed when you made a comment that this article represented the scenario well. Job loss and teen angst was the heading. And the quote from the article was, economic theories offers a perfectly reasonable assumption. A higher minimum wage leads to job loss. Theory has not been borne out by evidence. With one possible exception, teenagers. My response to that is, that's not the exception. That's the theory. That's the exact argument. Basically, Minimum wage hurts the lowest skilled, lowest experienced worker because the amount they can contribute in value is below what they're required to be paid. 
And so for the employer, they will always accept the higher skilled person first. And then if they do hire someone who's not contributing enough in terms of value, they will constantly be looking to replace them. Right. And also, we didn't touch on this, but I'll just throw that out there, that minimum wage also takes away the ability to negotiate a wage below the minimum wage for those who want to make below the minimum wage if you just want to make a quick five bucks, six bucks, ten bucks. It is illegal to be able to make below that either well, zero to well depend well for if you're an adult based on the situation for fifteen or yeah. fourteen where it's at right now. But it ruins the ability to negotiate. Yeah. I mean the true minimum wage is zero. Is, is zero. Yeah. Um the funny thing is we make exemptions. It's called internships. Right. We, the, the reason why nurses, for example, when they're going through, or doctors, all the medical people, when they're going through that, don't get paid is because they can't get paid between zero and the minimum wage. Right. And they're not worth the minimum <laughs> wage, and right. they're getting so much value from the education mm-hmm. that they're willing to work for zero because that's the only option. Right. But the, I guarantee you, if it was allowed, the employers would be willing to pay them five bucks a day or five bucks, a, pay for transportation, whatever it is, like, you know, pay for some lunch. conversation. Pay for lunch some and transportation. Yeah. Let's cover their essentials for the day and we'll teach them. But we can't do that because it's illegal because of minimum wage. Exactly. So we make our exemption called internships and we pay them nothing. So, um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get some feedback on this. Well, ho- hopefully we do. I-, I would love to hear uh, what you... I'd love to hear your two cents. Yeah, we've definitely given ours. I mean, I'm definitely a- against the minimum wage. Um, again, my caveat, I'm still for taking care of our community, just not by government force. Right. You can find me on Twitter at Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell on Twitter or on Instagram and Darnell Samuels on Facebook. And you can find me, Joel Nikoloff, on Facebook, uh, tjoeln39 on Twitter. And uh, obviously, you can also hit up our, our the podcast page, Six Sense Report, uh, on Twitter and Facebook. But you heard me? Does that make sense? I hear